evangelicalism may have run its course. I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? I know. Theology. Theology. Unplugged. Hey, welcome to Theology Unplugged. I'm Michael Patton, and this is not a fun Theology Unplugged to do. This is a very surprising one for me to be able to do. I shouldn't be surprised by it, but um, I'm going to talk about the current state of evangelical theology, the theological state of evangelicalism. You you want to stick around and listen to this because it's it's pretty crazy if you have not heard this. I'm kind of behind on this, surprisingly. Uh, I did get what I'm going to be reading to you. I did get the survey a while back, and I, I don't think I ever really looked at it. I couldn't have ever really looked at it because I would have I would have done this much, much earlier. But this is back in 2022, whenever this survey came out that I want to talk about. And it's, it's a survey about evangelicals and what evangelicals believe. Now, you've probably seen a hundred of these, and um, they're, they're all, they all don't look that great. But this one has some surprising features. Now, you can talk beforehand. We, we can all talk about whether or not it's even a legitimate term to call us evangelicals anymore. Evangelicalism has a lot of history to it, a lot of history that most people don't understand and don't know about it. It all has to do with the rise of liberal movement. It's a theological movement first. We're having to do and a cultural impact movement first, but it all starts back in the 19th century with the rise of liberalism, the response of fundamentalism, and then the kind of corruption or the the um, uh, the fundamentalists' in, inability to remain just with the fundamentals, really. And, and then evangelicals arose out of that in the 1940s, 1950s, with many people, Carl Henry. Uh, and uh, uh, Billy Graham was uh, was a big part of the rise of fundamentalism. I mean, excuse me, of evangelicalism. So evangelicalism is what I'm talking about today. There are many people today who believe that it is illegitimate to call us evangelicals anymore simply because it's so identified, at least here in America, with a political movement. And that is unfortunate that it has become so identified with a political movement. Uh, not that uh, I'm against politics or or talking about politics. As a Christian, we need to talk about the way in which our faith impacts our culture. But at the same time, first and foremost, evangelicalism needs to be, should be, has always been about a theology, some something we believe first. And then based upon the foundation of a belief, that is who we become. That is how we act. It is not the other way around. It is not we act one way or we believe certain morals and then we change our underlying beliefs to fit those morals. We have certain beliefs about the Bible and about the Great Commission, about God, about traditional Christianity. Really, whenever it comes down to evangelicalism, you might be able to put us down to, you might be able to say, if I'm defining it well, if I'm defining it the way I want to, if I had my way with this, I would define evangelical based upon the essentials of the person and work of Christ, who Christ is and what Christ did, that Christ is God and he's man. He's fully God, fully man. He's the God man. He's the theanthropos. And um, he came to die for our sins and he rose from the grave. 
and by trusting in him, you can have eternal life. Those are the things whenever you're talking about the base theology. But we also, as evangelicals, believe the Bible. So that is a key characteristic. If you're if you call yourself an evangelical, normally you will believe in the inspiration and inerrancy of the scripture. Doesn't talk about exactly what theological tradition you end up in afterwards, because evangelicalism is a broad umbrella. It's a broad umbrella term. It's a transdenominational term, meaning that you can be an evangelical Baptist or an evangelical Presbyterian. You can be an evangelical in many, many different spheres of Protestantism. Normally, it has been Protestants who are evangelicals. And so you have Protestant evangelicalism. That's what I call myself. Whenever people ask me, they say, what what are you? I say, I'm a Christian. I'm an evangelical Protestant uh, Christian. So that's how I identify with myself. I'm not sure if it it works. I wrote a blog about this about 15 years ago, whenever people first started saying that evangelicalism has lost its value. And I ordered for, I, I argued for a, uh, historic evangelicalism, that we should use the term historic evangelicals. And I think that that is a good way to put it. I'm surprised and upset about the state of evangelicalism. I'm going to read to you guys a survey. Um, uh, I, As I said, evangelicalism may have run its course as far as a uh, terminology that we use. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't give it up back then. Some of this stuff was already here. But let me let me just read to you. This is from um, the state of theology. I've got that in the notes there. If you want to look and check this out yourself, it came out in 19, uh, 2000, 2022. It's called the state of theology. And now, uh, you know, whenever I do this, I do want you to understand that I'm not, I don't know, um, um, whether or not this, the questions that were asked and how they were asked, there's a lot of this with every survey, there's a lot of things that you don't know. And so I don't want to be too alarmist, but this, this kind of fits. And I think it's probably more right than not right. You know, with the way you ask a question, how you find out whether somebody is an evangelical to take this survey is something else as well. So I think it may be the current state of who all is calling themselves evangelicals, as you will see in just a minute. But this is a survey uh, from from the state of theology. Now, listen to me. I'm just going to go through a few of these things here. I'm not going to go through everything, but I want you to listen, okay? There are certain questions that are asked, and I'm going to ask them here. The first question is, does God change? That was given in the survey. Does God change? Um, And most most particular, here's here's uh, the statement: God learns and adapts to different circumstances. God learns. Does God learn and adapt to certain circumstances, different circumstances? Uh, and this is the way that all U.S. This isn't just evangelicals right now. All of U.S. adult said this: fifty-one percent agreed that God learns and adapts in different circumstances. Now that's pitiful. Nobody wants to hear that you understand that that's the way you think about God, but that's 51% of America believes that God learns and adapts. Now listen to this. Same question, God learns and adapts to different circumstances. This is evangelicals. Now you would think it's going to be a big change. You know, you got 50% of America saying that 
God uh, learns and adapts, and you're like, that's crazy. We need to get them in the evangelical church. We need to, you know, help them out because their theology is messed up if you believe that God learns and adapts. Evangelicals, 48%. So 50% of America believes that, 51% all America, but 48%, we, we've got three por- three percentage points. That's how much we gained. That, that is crazy. I mean, we've got a evangelical church that is half, 48%, processed theologians, which basically means they believe that God changes, which basically means they believe that God is in his, in his essence inside of time, which basically means that philosophically speaking, they don't have a God because God, by definition, cannot change. By God, by definition, is the creator of all things, including time. God, by definition, is transcendent, above, beyond all of his creation. He created it, everything out of nothing. He created all ex nihilo, including time. So you cannot have, you cannot have God and have change at the same time. Now, you can have God in time and him interacting with people. You can have God like the Bible, where you know he says he's going to do something, and then people change. Like whenever he sent Jonah to Nineveh, he said, I'm going to judge Nineveh. Jonah went there. They changed their mind, and therefore God relented. He no longer was going to judge uh, Nineveh. That's a different thing. But so you, you've got God learns and adapts to different circumstances. What a horrendous view that would be if you believed that God learns and adapts. That's terrible. I mean, because he can change. Once he can change, all is up for grabs. We are in trouble. Maybe he changes his mind about what the effects of the cross. Maybe he changes his mind that uh, he's going to save all those who trust in him. Maybe he changes his mind that the future for us will be redeemed. Maybe he changes his mind and he no longer loves us. I mean, we change our mind. That's part of the changing and adapting we do. And it's messed up. We mess, we, we do bad things. We, we change from better to worse. Maybe God will change from better to worse. You can't ever know. And if you have that, if you believe in a God that changes, it is a very hopeless. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you can't believe in that and, and be saved. You can be messed up in your theology, but what a very hopeless theology that would be. We do not believe that God changes. He cannot, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says, he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny his own attributes. He does not change. He is a God who is who he is. That's his name, Yahweh. I am that I am. It's not that I am becoming what I'm going to be. It's I am what I am. That is the tetragrammaton, the name of God, the name that he gave to Moses whenever Moses asked him, who should I tell the Israelites has sent me uh, that uh, you have sent me? What should I tell them your name is? Yahweh, the one, the being one, the only one that is outside of time, the only one that doesn't change. That's what his name is supposed to communicate. That's unique. Yeah, the Greek, Romans, uh, all of those people throughout time, the the process theologians, the pantheist, and and is uh, and uh, uh, and Hinduism, and all uh, everybody else may have a god that changes. Our God does not change. He does not change his mind. He cannot deny himself because he cannot change. 
It's not that he doesn't change because he decides not to. And he's like, man, I'm going to stick to this and I've got a plan and that's what I'm going to do. That's not it. It's not a willful thing with God. Sure, he can will whatever he wants, but it's not a willful thing. He cannot change because he is God. He is the being one. The being one, by definition, cannot change. That's it. Therefore, he cannot deny himself. So we we do not believe that. 50% of evangelicals, come on. Listen to this. Here's another one. Are we born innocent? And this is the statement. Everyone in the Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. That's the survey. Do you agree with that or do you not agree with that? Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Now, you have 71% of Americans generally uh, across America, once again, not evangelicals, but all of America, 71% agree that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Now, I can see that. Uh, within America, generally speaking, that's the way you would think people believe. You're born and you you uh, are born sinless. You are born without the need of redemption. You are born without the need of Christ. It's only whenever you get to that point, you really start messing up. That's That's what you expect the outside world to believe. But we evangelicals, we come in with a different understanding. We say we are born into a fallen race. We are born in Adam. We are associated with Adam until we're associated with Christ. Therefore, every human after after Adam sinned, his he, and his relationship was cut off from God. And it says, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's, that is a cutting off of the relationship. We were dead to God. Uh, whenever Adam sinned, that moment, that day, the second he rebelled, he died to God. Therefore, all of humanity died to God. Therefore, every human that has been born since then is born dead. We are born without a relationship with God. We are born in a sinful state. We are born not only condemned because we are born dead, but we are born corrupted because we have a corrupted line that has gone before us. That's why we sin. So. That's America. Yeah, of course. America's going to think most people are born innocent. But here, here's what that, that 71% of Americans in general. But what do evangelicals believed? What, what do we believe about this? Well, it says everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. How many evangelicals? 65%. So it's 71% of general America. And then 65% of Amer uh, evangelicals believe we are born innocent before God. What is this? I don't understand. Where does this come from? I mean, I thought evangelicalism was supposed to be was supposed to mean something theologically. I thought we were supposed to have certain beliefs. I thought we were committed to the scriptures. I thought that we were committed to to our uh, theology that has tradition that has gone back two thousand years. Not committed to our emotions. Not committed to what we just think. Oh, the baby's cute. Must be innocent. Must not need Christ yet. That type of thing. Everybody needs Christ. Even the baby who dies in the womb, even the aborted baby needs Christ. Now, that's, that's up to God. Is he going to apply Christ's blood or not to that baby? I believe he does to all children. I do believe he does, but it doesn't mean they're without need. It doesn't mean that they are heaven bound without the cross of Christ. Everybody that has ever lived, everybody who has ever been conceived is hopeless outside of the cross of Christ. 
Okay, so let me go to the next one or the next one I want to talk about. This one is uh, about the Bible. I can't remember what this one is. Let me read it. It says, the Bible, like all sacred writings, contain helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Now, that's a hard one. I don't, I mean, using the word myths should, should say, hey, wait a minute. It's not a myth. You know, the, the, what the Bible teaches is not a myth. It's not a mythology. Uh, but whenever you say it's not literally true, I mean, some things, it depends on how you interpret it. Of course, whenever you're interpreting, you know, some of the Psalms or Ecclesiastes, I mean, depends on what you're looking at. We're, but but it's true so long as we are interpreting it rightly, always. That's how the Bible is. As long as I'm interpreting it correctly, it's always true because it is theonoustos. It is from God. It is God-breathed. It is inspired of God. And God's hand is on it. His fingerprints are on it and says, I approve of this message. Now, we got to do our due diligence to understand it, to interpret it correctly. But at the same time, we believe very much as evangelicals that the Bible is God's word. And therefore, it is literally true. Um, and not it is not myths. Uh, generally, in America, what do we have? We have um, 50. Let, let's go back to 2014. 2014, 41% agree that it is not literally true, and it's and it's uh, it's an ancient count of myths. Today, 2022, or closer, 53%. So it's gone up a full uh, 12 points. Uh, that l less and less people trust the Bible. They think it's mythology. They think it's not literally true. That's America in general. Now let's go to... Um, Let's go to the Bible across the board. And that, that's just the U.S. adult findings. Now, I do not find in this survey the same thing. Maybe I'm missing it, but the same thing whenever it comes to evangelicals. I guess I'll just have to leave that one at that and say, hey, you know, 53% of Americans. I mean, I, I, I really don't imagine they're going to get they're going to get uh, this one right if they've gotten the other ones wrong. Let's go to this one. Let's see here and make sure I'm getting the right one. Okay, evangelical. Fine. Here, here's the question. Here, here's the statement. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. All religions across the board, and we're including the three big ones. Does God accept that? Is that okay? Is it kosher to come before God and not become a Christian because you're you are someone who is a Jew who has not accepted Christ or Islam who does not accept Christ as the God man as the one who died for our sins and rose from the grave um, or any other religion you know so um, America in general fifty percent fifty six percent say yes God accepts everybody's religion okay. Now, evangelicals come in, and we change that, right? Well, of course, you know where this is going. Um, evangelicals say, evangelical findings, 56% agree. That is evangelicals right there. That is evangelicals. 50, I thought it was America. I thought there's no way. But evangelical respondents, 56% agree that God worships the God accepts the worship of all religions. Now you may look at that and you may say, 
what do you what does it mean accepts the worship i mean anybody in any religion can come before god and say on the basis of christ and say have mercy on me the sinner but the implication of course here is that do all religions ultimately lead to god is pluralism correct do all roads lead to Rome type thing? And of course, we do not believe this as, as Christians. John chapter, chapter 14, verse 2 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And that's Jesus. Nobody gets to God outside of the avenue that Christ has provided. You cannot find your own way. Christ has provided it. That is what the gospel is. And we tell people the gospel and we we give them the good news that Christ has provided the way. 56% think, 56% of evangelicals think that all roads lead to God. Okay, how about this? Uh, Jesus, was, this, uh, and it, it just has uh, evangelicals here. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Now you would think, of course, they are not going to accept this. 43% though agree. 43% of evangelicals believe Jesus was a great teacher, but he is not God. You're by definition, number one, you're not evangelical once you go there. I mean, you've gotten the, the center piece, Jesus Christ, the center of Christianity, the center of our confession. The person and work of Christ is the center. You get that wrong and you are you're out of luck that he wasn't God, that he, the people are claiming he's just a great teacher. What he said was really good. I pick up my Bible, I read it, and I get inspired by the red words of Christ, but he is not God. That is, that is not Christian. That is absolutely not Christian. Not only is it not evangelical Christian, it is not Christian, Christian of any kind. There's not a branch of Christianity, a major branch, neither Protestant or any major denomination within Protestantism, or Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, you would not belong to any of those. This is an unchristian view. Okay, so that, there's a few other ones um, that that have to do with this, but I want to talk about. I, I want to go to these ones because I want to. I want to get to this before this is over. It's really interesting. No, th that's interesting enough as it is, right? how bad the theology is, how bad the theology of not only America, but evangelicalism is. It's terrible. Uh, it's embarrassing, uh, to be honest with you. But now let's get here. Uh, okay, let, let's talk about sexual ethics. This is ethics now we're going to. Now, um, evangelical, I'm just going to read to you the evangelical finding, and here's the statement. Sex outside of traditional marriage is a sin. Now stop right there. Sex outside of the traditional marriage is a sin. Now you'd say, wait a minute. Okay. Uh, if they got those other ones wrong, I mean, this one is going to go way, way wrong because we expect these ones to go wrong, right? But how wrong did it go, Michael? How wrong is it in the evangelical church, the evangelical findings? How much do, are we off? Just give it to me, right? Just, just give me the medicine, the bad medicine. Well, okay. Sex outside the traditional marriage is a sin. How many 
what percent of evangelicals agree with that? You might think 5%, 10%, 20%, 95%, 94%. 94%. After all the, they've gotten wrong in theology, after all we've gotten wrong in the very foundation that we stand on, now we get this right? I mean, it's not that I'm not glad. I mean, we do need to get things right like this. But this is just, it's causing me to scratch my head and say, what in the world? Why in the world do we have such a high moral standard and absolutely no theology? Now, not too long ago, a man, a a guy uh, came up with a term for the current state of evangelicalism, the current state of Christianity in America, and he called it moral therapeutic deism. Now, there's a lot to that, but it just he's basically saying that we believe in a moral Christianity and a God who is aloof. We believe in a moral, we, we want to follow the moral. If you're an evangelical, basically what this is saying is that you have strong, strong moral standards, but absolutely no theology. And l- let me tell you something, there's probably no worse place for you to be in. I know that sounds weird. I know it sounds weird, but this is basically a very legalistic way of approaching it. You live your life and you'll condemn people for the right moral acts, but your theology is completely off. But you're shrouding yourself, you're covering yourself in your morality, and you're putting yourself up as a moral person. You've probably fooled a lot of people too. You may have said, and again, I have nothing against this. This is right. This is what we should do. But you've probably, somebody has come up to you and you say, uh, uh, you know, have you had sex before? And they say, no, I'm not going to have sex till I get married. And you say, oh, what a good Christian. Okay, that guy's a really good Christian. Since, I mean, even most Christians hardly follow by that. Most Christians may believe it, but most Christians don't follow by it. And here's a guy who's fallen by it. So he's really committed. This guy is a really strong Christian. Well, Ask him the rest of the questions because 94% of evangelicals agree that sex outside of marriage is wrong. You even go to things like a gender identity. And um, let's see here. The Bible's, listen to this. The Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. Only 28% agree. I'm like, that, that is crazy. You would think it'd be so much higher with such bad theology. Moral therapeutic deism, where evangelical is just simply a shrouded in its moral, what what did Christ call it? Whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look really good, but you open that tomb, you open it up, and it is moral decay. It's falling apart on the inside, moral decay. And so you have this, this very dangerous position that we're in. You may say, hey, the evangelical church is doing a really good job out there of standing up against uh, the moral issues of the day, against uh, transgenderism or uh, sex before marriage or, or whatever it may be, all of those things, but they're not even Christian whenever it comes down to it because they don't even believe that Christ is God. They don't even believe that uh, we are sinful, that we are in need of a Savior. I mean. What do we got here? If this is true, this is horrible. This is horrible. We go to the same thing. I haven't read, read this one yet, but uh, I could imagine where it's going to go. Is abor- abortion a sin? 90, 
1% believe abortion is a sin. So once again, that's good. I'm glad. But my goodness, we've got some problems. Maybe this is exactly where Satan would want us to be. Get all their get all the out, outward signs looking good. Get all of their confession. You know they they've never had an abortion. They haven't ever uh, slept with anybody before marriage. They're not transgender. They're not homosexual. Get all of those and make them think that makes them Christian. It's that's what it looks like to me. It looks exactly like that. I think that that is a the most dangerous place for us to be. We are not teaching theology. We're not teaching people to think through these issues. We're not teaching people critically. We're just teaching people not to have abortions, not to be homosexuals, not to have sex before marriage. And again, all of those things are fine, but those things come out of a good theology. They come out of a standing before God where we we know who he is. We know who we are. We know the mercy that he has given to us. And then based upon that, we make these other decisions. Based upon that, we look and say, okay, now what does he want me to do? We don't start with the what does he want me to do and think doing what he wants saves us. We don't say doing what he wants identifies us. We stand before God condemned from birth in absolute need of only one thing, Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross. We are under Adam from birth until we decide we are going to trust in God. God does not change. God does not, does not have any wavering of this stuff I'm talking about here. He is not going to one day love you and quit loving you. I mean, it's just this horrible, horrible situation of having good morals. And I know that surprises you. You probably thought that ever, that was going to be just as bad. Surprised me. It really did. Having good morals, but terrible theology. We have got to start teaching theology. We have to start. I mean, I, I've come across this m m today twice in two different ways where, where people have asked me questions that just blows my mind. Theological questions that I cannot believe this person is asking. That I that I knew they had to know because they were a Christian and because they were following the Lord. But and I'm not going to say the question. I'm not going to get into that because I don't. I'm 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 a little bit nervous about that. I don't I don't want it to. I don't want anybody to identify with this and know who I'm talking about. But just a basic theological question they got wrong. But all these other things they got right. It's been it's hit me twice today. Twice in two different ways. Once through an interaction with somebody and second through this survey that I just saw. So, I mean, all I can say is that this once again points to our need for theology. It points to our need for a grounding. It points to our need for teaching these things in, in a, a way that is systematic, is comprehensive, is part of the discipleship is something that we go through with a brand new Christian from the very beginning, and we continue to push it throughout their entire Christian life. Theology is not unimportant. Theology is not to be set aside in favor of a therapeutic, moral, deistic way of looking at God. We're not trying to do theology to make them better people. We're trying to 
teach theology to teach them who they are and what God has done for us. And if we get that wrong, friends, we don't have the gospel. We haven't told them anything. They are not Christians. We, you cannot have Christians. You cannot have Christianity without theology, at least to some degree. Now, people, I'm not saying these people are not Christians. I'm just saying it is not Christianity without good theology. We can come to God with just our repentance, with just our statement of have mercy upon me, the sinner. You don't have to perfectly know who Christ is. You don't have to know the meaning behind the cross. You just simply know that he died for your sins and he rose from the grave. And you don't know how that applies to you, but you know that you need it. And you say, God, put that on me. Have mercy on me. Can, can you make that for me? And he does. And then we spend the rest of our lives figuring out what that is all about. So I'm not saying you have to be a theologian to be a Christian. Uh, but I am saying once you are a Christian, you need to work on your theology. And I'm also saying that bad theology is not Christian. As my professor in seminary, Jeffrey Bingham, used to say, it's something, but it's not Christianity. All right, guys, uh, hopefully this has been uh, enlightening for you and beneficial. Please uh, subscribe and, and whatever, pla whatever place you're at, whether you're getting this on YouTube or through, um, if you're going to some other place, like if you're getting this from Twitter or Facebook, go over to YouTube, Credo House at YouTube. Just search for Credo House. Subscribe because that's where most of our stuff comes through. And also, if you would, this would be very important for, for me and that is uh, to support me on Patreon. You can see right there, there's a QR code. If you're just listening to this, go to Patreon forward slash C. Michael Patton. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash C. Michael Patton. That's how we get the support for this ministry. Become a member, please. That is how we're going to keep this thing going. That is my primary means now of getting um, uh, support for myself. And I'm going to keep on doing this stuff. Thank you for the last 20 years of supporting me in theology. Thank you to all my Patreon members now, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Theology 